Summers when Pastor Michael said, do you remember that day when God heard your cry? I could just hear so many people around the church going, yeah, I remember that day when we were set free. When we realised that Jesus' death on the cross meant it wasn't just an event that happened way back when, it was actually Jesus forgives me today. Today I want to talk about forgiveness. It's uh, radical forgiveness. Why don't we just uh, take a moment and turn to the people beside you and just make sure you said hello to those people sitting around you first. Hello. Hello. Good to have you here. Good to see some new people. You're so welcome. If you've never been to church before or never been to a church like ours, you're so welcome. We're so glad that you came here today. Uh, So it's good to uh, say hello to the people beside you because forgiveness and this radical forgiveness is not only about God forgiving us. There's a clause, like an extra bit. God went one step too far, more further than anyone ever asked him to and said it also involves us forgiving each other. So radical forgiveness, Um, that's the title if you want a title, radical forgiveness. Why radical? Because Jesus never talked about any other type. He didn't talk about half-hearted forgiveness or just a little smidge, little pinch of forgiveness, like have a pinch of salt. He talked about radical forgiveness and he showed us radical forgiveness on the cross. So radical, Christians believe in forgiveness even for atrocities even for, you know, like the Holocaust, for for genocidal dictators, for absolute atrocities. And even in the, so radical, even in the absence of repentance, in the absence of reparation. So without anyone saying they're sorry, we even believe in forgiveness then. Why? Because that's the forgiveness that Jesus offered us. When they lifted him up, nailed him and lifted him on the cross, the first thing he said was, Father, forgive them even though no one was saying they were sorry. No one was stopping what they were doing. They would continue to mock him and taunt him and torture him for hours to come. But those things weren't connected. Those things weren't required for Jesus to offer his forgiveness first. So Jesus shows us, even to the point of death, there's no atrocity too far. And it doesn't require even the repentance of the other person for forgiveness to be in play. And that's pretty radical, isn't it? And that's not how we normally think of forgiveness. Normally we're taught, I don't know about you, but this is how I was taught, have a fight with my brother or sister. My older brother, Stephen, was a real painful older brother, always like beating us up and stuff. It was terrible. Until I was about, I think, 10, and then I got bigger than him. Or he stopped and I maybe got the same size, and then I beat him. Like, can you imagine? What a terrible child. Um, he was a real, he was a real bully to us, Stephen. He's a nice guy now. Um, just in case you're listening on the podcast, Steve. Uh, <laughs> nice guy now. But then after a fight, my mum would always make us shake hands or give each other a hug and we'd always have to go, oh, I'm sorry, or he'd have to say sorry and the other one would have to, the mum would be going, now say you forgive them and then we'd have to shake hands. Did you all have to do that? Pretty sure my children have had to do that. Nowadays they have things like people put two kids in a t-shirt and it's called our get along t-shirt and it's like one t-shirt. You'll stay in that t-shirt until you forgive each other and get along. 
all these weird things we teach our children. But so in my mind when I was growing up, I thought that you had to have the handshake or the hug, you had to say I'm sorry, and you also had to have the I forgive you. All of those things had to be wrapped up and the other person had to be sorry. You better believe I knew when they were sorry or not or whether they were faking a sorry. Uh, so I thought all of those things were involved in forgiveness, but that's actually not. They're not. Most of those things, they're ideal, but they're not required for us to forgive. So today I want to look at what is the biblical view? What does the Bible show us about what forgiveness is? And what is it not? What is not forgiveness? And <clears throat> just got a few... I'm sure you've seen things like this. My daughter has showed me these. Are they called memes or memes? I don't know. Memes, yeah, memes. I don't know who said this. Unforgiveness is like taking poison but expecting someone else to die. That idea of the poison's happening in you and the other person's not even bothered. No, I think Max Ricardo might have said this. Forgiveness is unlocking the door to set someone free and realising that you with a prisoner. Those are pretty good. You know, it's an accepted fact, like in psychology, that forgiveness makes us free. And it's not to do with the other person, it's to do with us. I read this quote from some psychologist. He said, uh, a made-up statistic, he said, if people could learn to forgive, then nine out of ten psychologists would be out of a job. This thing that's going on inside us is a barrier to our freedom. This whole year at One Heart Church, we're talking about freedom, as Pastor Michael was talking about, uh, this freedom in our spirit, and unforgiveness is a significant barrier to freedom. But as I said before, Jesus took it way too far, and he said that our forgiveness from him is connected to our forgiveness to others. And for many, many years, I've got to tell you, I don't know about you, Maybe you're all on board straight away. But when I, I really struggled with this whole concept of, man, I thought you said that your forgiveness to me was unconditional. I thought I heard that, that there's no sin too far, no person too far gone, blah, blah, blah. It's unconditional forgiveness I get from God. And then Jesus tacks on this huge, whopping great condition, except for it's dependent on how I forgive others. And I... Whoa, it's pretty heavy. Let me read this to you. This is from Matthew 18, uh, verse 22. So Peter has just said to him, his disciples just said to him, how many times do we have to forgive? Like seven? Thinking that was a, that's a high number. Can you imagine someone hurting you and then again and again and again and again, seven times you'd be thinking, I'm, I'm doing a good job to forgive this person seven times. And Jesus tells this story. The kingdom of heaven is like a king who went to settle accounts with his servants. And he, as he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold, like a huge, crushing, overwhelming debt, was brought to him, and he was not able to pay. So the master ordered all that he had to be sold to pay for the debt. And the servant fell on his knees and he said, be patient with me. He begged. Uh, I'll pay back everything eventually. But the master took pity on him and just cancelled the debt and let him go. This crushing, overwhelming, never-to-be-repaid debt, he just cancelled the debt. You're like, yeah, it's like winning lotto, isn't it? Hey, Jesus didn't say that, but that was, I tacked that in. Okay. But when the servant went out, he found one of his fellow, fellow servants who owed him a 100 silver coins 
And he grabbed him and he began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and he begged him, be patient with me and I'll pay it back. But he refused. Instead, he had the man thrown into prison until he could repay his debt. Just this hundred silver coins. And when everyone else saw what happened, they were outraged and they told the master, snitches. And then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. This is what the master says. I cancelled your debt because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servants just as I had mercy on you? And then the master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he could pay back all that he owed. And then Jesus says, this is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. And just in case we missed it or we thought that he was having a bad day or annoyed with someone that day, he said it many more times in different ways. Jesus talked about the measurement, the measurement that we forgive others is a measurement that God will use to forgive us. He said, they said, how should we pray? And he said, well, you pray like this. Father, forgive my sins as I forgive others. He was pretty clear. He wasn't bland on that one. And I used to read this and really struggle with this. It's like Jesus is saying quite clearly, if, if you've been forgiven and then you don't forgive, then you haven't been forgiven, which seems pretty harsh. It seems not fair. God's heaps bigger than us and much more generous and gracious and filled with forgiveness. And my heart is cold and stingy and easily offended and it's hard for me to forgive. So I thought that God might take that into consideration and think, okay, well, I'll forgive you for everything and I know you struggle with it, Carl's. But he doesn't. It's like one plus one equals one. <clears throat> the reason is... Forgiveness is not, my forgiveness of others, your forgiveness of others is not a side issue to God. It's not like one of the many things, like whether you can have communion every day or every week or every month, that's kind of, oh, that's a side issue to God how often you have communion. But forgiveness of others is not a side issue. It's everything to do with our relationship with him, our relationship with others. They're all wrapped up. They're so intimately interconnected that you can't separate the two. The reason is, is because when I'm forgiven by Jesus, he forgives me through his death on the cross, and then he makes me a new creation and gives me a call in my life to go and tell others the good news. What's the good news? That you too can be forgiven. That's the good news. And so I can't, with one voice on one hand, say, Jesus will forgive you for anything, for any sin. I believe it. He forgave me for everything in my life. Any sin, any sin, except for you and that thing that you did to me that day. I can't forgive that. That's unforgivable, that thing you said to me yesterday. So you see, you can't have both of those things coexisting, can you? If we are forgiven, we are forgivers. Regardless of the other person's repentance or reparation or being sorry or promising never to do it again, we become when we're forgiven by Jesus and we choose to follow Jesus, we become Jesus to the world. We become the body of Christ. We are his hands and feet, his mouthpiece. And so we are forgivers because that's who Jesus is. That's what Jesus is. That's his whole purpose for coming, 
to die on the cross, to rise again, to buy our forgiveness. So you can't have one without the other. Our lives can't be Jesus forgives you for everything except for I don't forgive you for that one thing. They're two sides of the same coin. Uh, There was a Christian woman. Oh, there you go. Christianity 101 that was. Um, There was a Christian woman named Corrie Ten Boom. Wave your hand if you've heard of her. Corrie Ten Boom. So the older people. (laughs) Me too. (laughs) So this lady was... um, captured and uh, uh, imprisoned in a uh, concentration camp during the time of uh, the Nazi war. And uh, her and her sister, and her sister and obviously many of of the family members died, um, and she uh, lived through through the concentration camps. After the war finished, she went back into Germany to travel around Germany to write and to speak and to preach that God forgives people. <clears throat> Can you imagine? After the, the, the understanding of the Holocaust comes out, she's going into Germany and she's telling these people, Jesus loves you and he will forgive you. And one day, a guard, and one of the Nazi guards, who she had personally knew or experienced or met, uh, came in and at the end of the service, he came up to her and he asked for her forgiveness. And uh, I'll just read you the story, because obviously that's huge. It was in a church in Munich that I saw him, a balding, heavy-set man in a grey overcoat, a brown, fat felt hat clutched in his hands. People were filing out of the basement room where I'd just spoken, moving along the rows of wooden chairs to the door at the rear. It was 1947, and I'd come from Holland to defeated Germany with the message that God forgives. It was a truth they needed most to hear in that bitter, bombed-out land, and I gave them my favourite mental picture because the sea is never far from a Hollander's mind. I like to think that's where our forgiven sins are thrown. When we confess our sins, I said, God casts them into the deepest ocean, gone forever. The solemn faces stared back at me, not quite daring to believe. There were never questions after a talk in Germany in 1947. People stood in silence, in silence collected their wraps, and in silence left the room. And that's when I saw him working his way forward against the others. One moment I saw the overcoat and the brown cap, and the next moment in my mind's eye, the blue uniform and the visored cap with the skull and crossbones. It came back with a rush. That huge room with its harsh overhead lights, the pathetic pile of dresses and shoes in the centre of the floor, the shame of walking naked past this man. I could see my sister's frail form ahead of me, ribs sharp beneath her skin. And now he was in front of me, hand thrust out. Fräulein, he said, how good it is to know, as you say, that all our sins are at the bottom of the sea. And I, who had spoken so glibly of forgiveness, fumbled in my pocketbook rather than take that hand. He wouldn't remember me, of course. How could he remember me among those thousands of women? But I remembered him, the leather crop swinging from his belt. 
I was face to face now with one of my captors and my blood seemed to freeze. You mentioned Ravensbrook in your talk, he said. I was a guard there. No, he didn't remember me. But since that time he went on, I have become a Christian and I know that God has forgiven me for all the cruel things I did there. But I would like to hear it from your lips as well. Fräulein, again, the hand came out. Will you forgive me? And I stood there, I whose sins had been forgiven, and I could not forgive. My sister Betsy had died in that place. Could he just erase her slow, terrible death simply by asking? It couldn't have been many seconds that he stood there, hand held out, but to me it seemed hours as I wrestled with the most difficult thing I'd ever had to do. For I had to do it. I knew that. The message that God forgives has this condition that we forgive those who's injured us. If you do not forgive me in their trespasses, Jesus said, neither will your Father in heaven forgive your trespasses. But I knew it not only as a commandment, but as a daily experience. Since the end of the war, I had a home in Holland for the victims of Nazi brutality. And those who were able to forgive their former enemies were also able to return to the outside world and rebuild their lives. And those who nursed their bitterness, no matter their scars, remained invalids. It was as simple and as horrible as that. And as I stood there with coldness clutching my heart, I knew that forgiveness is not an emotion. Forgiveness is an act of the will, and the will can function regardless of the temperature of the heart. Help, I prayed to God silently. I can lift my hand. That's all I can do. I can do that much. You supply the feeling. And so woodenly, mechanically, I thrust my hand into the one outstretched before me. And as I did, an incredible thing took place. A current seemed to begin in my shoulder and raced down my arm and sprang into our joined hands. And this healing warmth seemed to flood my whole being, bringing tears to my eyes. I forgive you, my brother, I cried, with all my heart. For a long moment, we grasped each other's hands, the former guard and the former prisoner. And I had never known God's love so intensely as I did then. See, forgiveness ushers in the power of God. Forgiveness opens the way for heaven to come rushing in, to bring freedom not only to ourselves, but to bring freedom for others. And she became a sign to that man. He only had it on faith. Our invisible God who we can't see, he faithfully believed, yes, God has forgiven me. But now in this flesh and blood person, shaking his hands, saying those words, looking him in the eye, saying, yes, you're forgiven. He had a true encounter with the forgiveness of Jesus as she became the sign to him about the forgiveness of God. We sang this morning about, you know, Holy Spirit, bring your power and things. We usher in the power of God when we forgive others. And you see how she couldn't have the two things going on at the same time. She couldn't have preached about Jesus forgives you and then not be able to forgive. The forgiven are forgivers. That's who we are. But forgiveness is not an emotion. It is an act of the will. 
It is a decision. It doesn't matter, as she said so beautifully, about the temperature of your heart. You can be cold-hearted towards a person and make an act of your will to forgive. And forgiveness is not the same as forgetting. She didn't all of a sudden get amnesia and forget her sister and forget the horrors and things that went on in that place. She was able to forgive, but she would never have forgotten what happened. Someone once said, there's no thing as, such thing as actual divine amnesia. Jesus isn't walking around in heaven going, how did I get these holes in my hands and my feet? When the Bible talks about God forgetting and wiping away our sins, it's this way of saying, I will never hold these things against you. They will in no way be held against you ever again. But it doesn't mean the same as there is no consequence or accountability for these things. You know, if I slap you on the cheek, you might forgive me, I might be sorry, but you've still got a sore cheek. There are still temporary consequences to our harm of each other, aren't there? So forgiveness, saying I forgive you for this woman is not the same as bringing her sister back or erasing the consequences of what happened. And yet we still can say, I forgive, even though the consequences can't change. Forgiveness does not mean a legal pardon. It's not the same when we forgive others. She didn't say to this man, okay, now you must never be held accountable for your crimes. It's not the same as a legal pardon. It's not saying this person is allowed to just scot-free, get away from their crimes. It is a way of saying, I give up my right to impose justice on you. I'm going to leave that right in the hands of God, the truly just judge, and to the law of the land. When I forgive someone if they've committed crimes against me, it's not the same as saying, and now you don't have to go to court about it. It's a, a work inside of our heart. They still are accountable. There still may be consequences. But the work inside of my heart is forgiveness towards them. And even though in this example there was a reconciliation. And even though with my mum, when we were little, we always had to shake hands. That was part of it. We were not allowed to play until we'd shaken hands. But forgiveness is not the same as reconciliation. And this is, I think, a huge uh, source of confusion when people think uh, they have to make up or they have to make friends or they have to be besties again once you've forgiven someone. But I can prove that you don't. They're two separate, distinct events, forgiveness and reconciliation. Because I have a friend named Matt, and he died many, many years ago. He may have said some hurtful things to me, and if I think of them today, I might choose to forgive him, an act of my will. But I can't choose to reconcile with him today. He was dead and buried decades ago. So reconciliation with someone and forgiving them are two distinct acts, aren't they? Two separate. It's God's ideal that, that we be back into community, but it's not always possible. It does not require, forgiveness does not require you speaking to the other person necessarily. It doesn't require them saying sorry. It doesn't require you even seeing them ever again. It doesn't even require them to be alive. And yet, we can forgive. And forgiveness is not the same as excusing people. Sometimes we think it's a really loving or Christian or the right thing to do to make excuses for people. That it's not the biblical picture at all. In fact, it's, 
It's against our own dignity to do that and that is against what God would have for us. So you might make an excuse for someone and say, look, she's not in her right mind right now. They're just going through a really hard time right now or, you know, whatever. They're they're addicted to drugs or drinking right now. And so they didn't mean what they said to me or what they did to me. They didn't mean it or you just make excuses for them. And what you're doing in that moment is you're pretending that it doesn't hurt somehow, aren't you? You're pretending that it's okay and they're not accountable for what they did because whatever, they didn't mean it somehow. This is not what God means when he speaks of forgiveness. We never have to discount that we've been harmed. In the Bible, I don't really know how to say this word. It's a Hebrew word. I should have talked to Leah first. Uh, In the Bible, there's many different words. There's heaps of different words in Hebrew and Greek that we translate into the word forgive and forgiveness and forgiven. And this one is used many times. And it's something like norgor or norsor, one of those. And this word and its derivatives are used 650 times in the Bible. And they're translated many times as the word forgive. But the root of it also means these things, or largely means these things. First, the lifting up. Second, the carrying of. And thirdly, the taking away of a burden. And this is the biblical, this is the Christian, this is how God speaks of forgiveness to us. Because isn't this what Jesus did on the cross for us? He was lifted up on the cross and he carried the full weight of all of our sins, past, present and future. And then in his death, he took away the burden of our guilt. And so when it comes to forgiving others, we never have to. The Bible never speaks of forgiveness as something cheap and easy and flippant and you just have to forgive here and there and everywhere. There is always a sense of picking it up, knowing the weight of it, and then the taking away of the burden. It's okay to to hold that hurt and say, this hurt me. This hurt my family. This hurt. This was wrong. This was not right what was said or done to me. And they are in the wrong. But then there's the taking away of the burden as we forgive. We never have to just make excuses or pretend it didn't hurt or or sweep it under the rug or not make a fuss. The biblical view of forgiveness is to, to carry it, to lift it up, to look at it, to be truthful about it and say, this was wrong and this hurt me. And then the taking away of that burden as we forgive. Earlier this year, uh, the week before Easter, do you all remember where you were weekend before Easter? So long ago. In Egypt, on the Sunday before Easter, one woman went to church just like every other Sunday, but her church was bombed by ISIS terrorists. You might have heard it in the news or something. So her husband was killed. And then as well as, you know, her being in the bomb, uh, you know, it would have been terrible, the noise, the confusion, the smoke, uh, the fear, and then her own husband is killed, as well as that, 26 other people in her church were killed and several more were injured. 45 people all up. 
As she left the church, she would have heard that across town, their own sister church, so the same denomination, also were bombed. More people were killed and more people were injured. All of these people she would have known. World leaders condemned the attack as a heinous crime against humanity. The chief of police was fired for poor security. There's outrage against, uh, around the whole world. Um, uh, there's a stronger call, call to arms for terrorism. Uh, and one religious leader, not a Christian, another religion, he said, the immunity of a place of worship cannot be violated and the bloodthirsty killing of innocent worship, worshippers can never be forgiven. But the Christian has a different point of view, has a different understanding than what can never be forgiven. Because we believe that Jesus' death and resurrection on the cross brought forgiveness for all sins. All sins. All in the past, all in the future, all in the present, all sins. Even atrocities. Even, you know, nationwide atrocities. Even people who hurt children, even genocidal dictators, even the things that have been done to you, and even the things that we have done to others. Jesus' death on the cross has the power to forgive all sins. And we believe there is no harm or sin that is beyond the reach of his blood falling from that cross. And as we forgive this, as we receive this forgiveness, we become assigned to the world to forgive others. So this woman in Egypt, all very easy to say, isn't it? Oh, yes, that's because you're thinking, oh, yeah, I'm all good with everyone. But what about when these terrible things happen? That's why I'm telling you this example and, and the example of Corrie ten Boom and, um, and the Holocaust and things. Because many studies have been done and lots of people think there is a limit to forgiveness. There's a limit there's small things and then there's big things and the big things, there's a limit to forgiveness. But isn't that what forgiveness is? It's for those things we can't excuse, we have to forgive. So what happened to this woman? Just this year, this year, the weekend before Easter, her husband is murdered, so many of her friends were murdered. She herself went through that terrible experience and the explosion. The world's telling her to be outraged, to call for the chief of police to be fired. Um, she got to go on TV. She had her moment to show her outrage and her uh, grief and her offence. Uh, they're calling not only for justice but revenge to occur, which has been an ongoing cycle in Egypt for generations, for revenge against what happened in the past. And she chose to forgive. And what happened next is just amazing. I'm going to show you this video clip in a few seconds. And as she forgives, you'll see this is a Muslim news station, a Muslim TV presenter, and he's silent for 13 seconds, which in TV land is like an hour. He's just stunned into silence. And then he just can't help himself. It just starts coming out. He's like, I, if that was my dad, I never could forgive. If your enemies knew the depth of your forgiveness, they wouldn't even believe it. These Christians are made of a different substance. They're made of steel, he says. He's just stunned into this overflowing of emotion. He can't, on a news, can you imagine that happening on our news? Because he sees that her forgiveness of this act is not just a natural thing. It displays the mighty power of God. She had two choices, to forgive or withhold forgiveness. 
If she had withheld forgiveness, we wouldn't be talking about it today. Nothing would have happened. They would have moved on. Everyone was outraged, rah-rah. But she chose to forgive. And in that moment, you know, this miracle happens on Muslim TV. They're saying, this woman, what, these Christians, they're made of a different substance. He can see the power of God in what she's doing. So if we turn the lights down and have a look at this now. أنا فرحانة بيه ومبسوطة ومش زعلانة من اللي عمل كده بقول له ربنا يسامحك أنت مغيب يا ابني أنت مغيب صدقني مغيب ومش زعلانة بس أنا بطلب من ربنا يعني اللي هو خلاص انتهى وراح بطلب من ربنا أن يعني يسامحهم ويحاولوا يفكروا شوية يفكروا يفكروا صدقيني لأن هم لو فكروا إحنا ما بنعملهمش أي حاجة صدقيني ما بنعملهمش حاجة لهم فكروا تاني فكروا إن أنتوا بتعملوه ده صح ولا غلط وربنا يسامحكم وإحنا مسامحينكم بأمانة بقولها مسامحكم وصدقيني لأن أنتوا حطيتوا لي أبو أولادي في مكان ما كنتش أتمنى العمر كله صدقيني بأمانة يعني أنا عمري أنا بفتخر بيه وبتمنى أكون أنا جنبه صدقيني يا بنتي وأشكرك يا حبيبتي أقباط مصر مصنوعين من فولاذ أقباط مصر مئات السنين بيتحملوا كوارث ومصايب كتيرة القبط المصري يعشق تراب بلده القبط المصري يتحمل كل شيء عشان وطنه وإيه كمية التسامح اللي عندكوا دي لو أعدائكم يعرفوا قد ايه انتم متسامحين بجد ما كانش حد يصدق ده انا لو ابويا والله ما اقول كده ابدا الناس دي عندها كميه تسامح عن حق عن عقيده دول بني ادمين والله مصنوعين من ماده تانية الله يرحمه عم نسيم بطل وشهيد ومثل اعلى للي قاعد كل واحد في البلد دي يقول لك هي البلد دي ايه والبلد دي ماشيه ازاي؟ البلد دي ماشيه كده البلد دي ماشيه بالصبر بالجلد بالتحمل بالست العظيمه دي بالعيال اللي خلف ما ماتش ضرباهم وعمل رجاله رجاله انا فرحانه بيه I must have watched this a hundred times. I'm just like, wow. It just reminds me of that song where we were just singing, the atmosphere is changing now. The spirit of the Lord is here. The evidence is all around. He can see it. He's like the depth of their forgiveness. It's, they're made from another substance. This is not a natural thing. It's not the product of evolution. It's, it's the power of God just in her simple decision to be a forgiver. We can't separate being forgiven and being a forgiver. It's not an act of emotion. She probably didn't feel like it. It's an act of the will. It doesn't take away the past. It doesn't mean those people are not accountable. It doesn't mean she doesn't feel the pain deeply. Forgiveness is not relying on any of those things. Forgiveness is a saying, I give up my right 
to be your judge and jury. I'm leaving that in God's hands and in the law of the land. But I won't be prisoner anymore in my heart and I will be a sign as I believe that Jesus has forgiven me this forgiveness for you as well. There's really only two choices. We always only have two choices. To forgive or to withhold forgiveness. If she had have withheld forgiveness, nothing would have happened. And she would have struggled to grieve. She would have carried that pain, that poison inside her, possibly for generations. But she chose to forgive and the spirit of the Lord was evident on Muslim TV. And she'll be able to grieve now in peace and heal. Jesus said, you know, all through the scripture it says there's one way to death and one way to life. Choose life. You know, there's forgiving or there's withholding forgiveness. Choose forgiveness. Jesus said there's a a wide gate and the path is easy and wide to it and then there's a narrow gate and a small gate and a narrow path. Choose the narrow path. The wide gate leads to destruction. It makes me think of it's just going with your feelings. Anyone just kind of led along. Everyone just goes with the flow and goes through that gate to destruction. The, The small gate with the narrow path, you have to consciously choose it. No one's flowing in there by accident. You have to be conscious of it. Slow down and watch every step. That's what forgiveness is like. Slow down and and be conscious and choose that path to life. Jim Carrey. It's a weird quote, I know. But Jim Carrey, an unlikely source, explained this so beautifully. I'll just read out what he said. This is just a very short address that he said. At the opening of a house for rehabilitation for gang members and um, drug addicts, he said, we somehow have to accept and not deny, but feel our suffering and feel our losses, and then we make one of two decisions. We decide to go through the gate of resentment, which leads to vengeance, which leads to self-harm, which leads to harm of others. Or we go through the gate of forgiveness, which leads to grace. You've made the decision to walk through the gate of forgiveness to grace, just as Christ did on the cross. He suffered terribly. He was broken by it. To the point of doubt and a feeling of absolute abandonment, which all of you have felt. And then there was a decision to be made. The decision was to look down on the people who were causing the suffering with compassion and with forgiveness. And that's what opened the gates of heaven for all of us. Because Jesus chose to forgive, he opened the gates of heaven for all of us. And if we choose to forgive, to accept that, we're going through that gate where he forgives us. It's the same gate where we become forgivers. There's the same gate. They can't be separated. And then as we choose to forgive, like Corrie ten Boom did, like that lady in Egypt, as we choose to forgive, we open the gate of heaven for others. This world needs to see forgiveness. 
people have never experienced that kind of of unconditional forgiveness. They can't believe it when they see it. They've never experienced the forgiveness of God and they've ne- because they've never experienced in flesh and blood. Some people think there's a limit to forgiveness and they think they've gone beyond that limit, that they are unforgiven and they're unforgivable. So many people walking around without hope because they think I'm unforgivable, the things that I've done. And we are called not to be a church who sit in our houses and go, thank you, Jesus, that I'm forgiven, and leave all those people alone. We're called to be the church that is a sign to people that this flesh and bones, this body that breathes, forgives you, extends and offers forgiveness freely and generously, and they will experience the forgiveness of Jesus through us. This is from a Christian catechism. This is the theology of forgiveness. It is not in our power not to feel or to forget an offence. Isn't that true? It's not in our power not to feel it. We can't go, I just won't feel that one. And it's not in our power to forget when people have harmed us. But the heart that offers itself to the Holy Spirit turns injury into compassion and purifies that memory into transforming the hurt into intercession. And that's how that lady in Egypt was able to say, I pray for those souls. I pray for those people. That's how Corrie Ten Boom was able to say, God bless you, I forgive you, and reach out and want the best for that other person. So just as these women have done, let's spend a moment now with the Holy Spirit allowing him to turn our injuries into compassion, into intercession. If you want to just close your eyes or be comfortable, maybe as soon as I put the slide up and said, today we're talking about forgiveness, maybe even then you had people come to mind who've hurt you, who you've struggled to forgive. Maybe throughout this talk you've been Having people come to mind, I need to forgive that person. I've never forgiven that person. Or just now as the Holy Spirit moves, you might feel that nudge. Someone you've struggled to forgive. Maybe someone you didn't realise you still needed to forgive. Maybe you've been making excuses for them all this time. And now God would say, It's okay to to carry that, to acknowledge the weight of it. Acknowledge your dignity that God put within you. He never wanted you to be harmed. Forgiveness is an act of your will, a decision to be made, regardless of the temperature of our heart. We can pray like Corrie Ten Boom did. God, all I can do is say the words and you, you have to supply the feeling. Maybe you yourself have been sitting here hardly daring to believe that forgiveness is available for you. 
Oh, there was a day when I sat in a talk just like this and I thought, not my sins, not what I've done. If God knew what I'd done, it's too far. It's too much. Sure, all these other people, but not what I've done. Let me tell you today that the cross is for everyone. The forgiveness of sins is for every single thing. And all we need to do is, as Pastor Michael said in communion, just pray in our hearts and accept the forgiveness that Jesus offers us. He's already done the work. He extends his arms to us. He extends that forgiveness to us. And all we need to do is receive it. Just tell him in your heart. Jesus, we are sorry for all the times that we've withheld forgiveness. We're sorry for the times when we've gone against you. We're sorry for the times that we've hurt others. And we ask for your forgiveness. Right now we make the active will that we forgive others who have hurt us. We make that choice that we forgive others. We ask you to heal them. We ask you to bring freedom to them as well. Your cross is a sign of your forgiveness to us. And today we say, yes, Jesus, we will be a sign of your forgiveness to others. Amen. Amen. That's right. <laughs> Sometimes we can hear a message like this and you might be thinking, no, I'm cool. I got no one to forgive. But I can pretty much guarantee that within a year, within 10 years, it'll come up. I just pray that um, the seeds of this can settle in your hearts and, and you know it's, it's not a feeling. It doesn't require the other person. It doesn't require making up with them and being besties with them again. It doesn't require saying, oh, it didn't hurt, or them not being accountable. That we can pick up, they'll feel the weight of it, and then in forgiveness we have that burden taken away. That we can be free. I'm going to pass it over to Bethany as she continues the service.